0: Uh, oh good. Excited to be with y'all. Um, it's just uh, I love coming here. I love being out here with you folks. I loved spending camp. A couple weeks ago, I slept for a week, um, and then ready to go again. Excited just to see some familiar faces from camp, and and just had a great time with that. But this morning, um, so I, I confess this to the group as I was as I was checking the mic. I wrote like the best. Structured sermon I've ever written for today. My seminary professor would have been all about it. He would have loved to hit all of the three points. And God woke me up this morning and said, Hey, I want to go a different direction. And so, uh, bear with me. Here we go. Um, but I just wanted to start with a word of confession on my part. I've been in, for the, probably the last three or four months, this really constant state of spiritual frustration. I don't know if y'all felt that. I don't know if it's something that's just me personally. I don't know if it's something over the church as a whole. I don't know. Probably just me. Um, Because it's just conversation after conversation, especially with students, has been one of just kind of, I'm not sure about this thing. And so I started asking questions. And I asked. One of my friends, I'm from Kentucky originally, and I was home a few months ago visiting my parents. And I asked one of these guys that I grew up going to church with, I said, So just tell me this. Tell me why you believe what you believe. And he goes, Oh, it's easy. It just makes sense. I said, he said, Yeah. I said, I said Go, You got you to gotta give me more than that. It just makes sense. He said, Yeah. He said, It's just logical, it's rational. Everything just lines up. It makes absolute perfect sense. And I had two, what I wish I would have said was different than what I said. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. It makes sense. And then I walked away. I got a little distance. I said, wait a second. None of this makes sense. He actually said to me, he said, the thing I love about Christianity over other religions, it doesn't have any of that super, supernatural stuff involved in it. I said, what? What? Our God became a man, born of a virgin, right? It's pretty supernatural. He walked on water. He made, they multiplied food. He raised people from the dead. He exercised demons. He healed people whenever he wanted to. He died and rose again and then gave his spirit to people to do even greater things than he, right? It's like, that's... None of this makes sense. This answer doesn't work for me. But I came to this realization as I was praying about, and I feel like the Lord said this specifically about the overall church. Hopefully it's different here. But I feel like what the Lord said to me is that the good news has become old news. That the good news of the gospel has become old news. We've rationalized it so much that we've got to this place where we said, Jesus loves me, and we sing that song to our kids, and we know that to be true, and it's penetrated every part of our brain, but it's been disconnected somewhat from our heart. That the good news has become so familiar, it's lost its shock and awe of the fact that a God became a man, and then died for us. We've heard it so many times, we've said it so many times, it's kind of lost the value for a lot of us. And this morning, if we do nothing else this morning, what I would like to do is just to walk you through this place where I'm going through right now, the struggle that I'm having personally of intimacy with God. This deep relationship relationship With the Father, Steve asked me to speak on hearing God's voice, and I want to honor that and honor His authority. And we'll talk about that. But really, the deeper part we want to go into this morning is what it looks like, or why it why it's something we look look at to be intimate with the Father. So, if it's okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll move into this passage. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Ephesians three, fourteen through twenty one. But I'm going to pray for us. Father, I confess that there are times in my life where the the good news become old news. And I pray that you'd forgive me of that, Lord. God, I pray that this morning you'll use a broken vessel to speak your truth. I pray, Lord, that you'll bind us closer. I pray, Lord, that we'll see what it is to be intimate, that we'll understand what it means to have the fullness of you. So, Lord, I pray for each one that they would hear what they need to hear that they would connect the way they need to connect this morning, and that we wouldn't be any distraction or anything in our minds that would distract us, distract our hearts from your heart, Lord. We thank you and we love you. Amen. So this passage, it's a familiar passage, right? Y'all know, every, we've heard this passage probably a hundred times of the, the height, the width, the depth of God's love for us. Um, you may have heard John Stott. Y'all know who that guy is, who was? He says this passage is Paul's. Paul's prayer here is like a staircase where Paul is calling God's people higher. That's what we want to do this morning. So I'm going to read this in Ephesians, and we'll go for there. It says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, through faith, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So like John saw was saying, it's this call higher. There's an intensity in Paul's prayer that if, you, if we're not careful, we can miss. So, he says, I, I bow my knee to pray. And if you know about Jewish prayer habits, Jewish people pray standing up. I've recently watched The Chosen with my boys, and they wanted to have four sons. And they wanted to know, why are these guys standing up and rocking as they're talking out loud? It's like, well, this is like the, that's how the Pharisees pray. Paul, being a Pharisee, would have been familiar with prayer this way. But in this case, there's an emphasis. He hits his knees to intercede on our behalf. It makes us think back to Jesus in the garden where he hits his knees and he asks the Father, Not your will, but my, not my will, but your will be done. Or when Stephen's before the Sanhedrin and he's about to get stoned and he goes to his knees and he says, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. There's a level of intensity that comes in Jewish culture when one hits their knees and they bow to pray in that way. And so this is, for all of us to understand, this is a big deal Paul's praying. And he prays for three specific things. First is the strength. He wants us to have the strength to understand God's love. And and he recognizes that the only way to do that is to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit. To be completely indwelt with the Holy Spirit. When we become believers, we we get that. But I think one of our issues, at least my issue, let me say it that way. I don't want to speak for you. One of my issues is a lot of times I start looking around and comparing what God's given me to what God's given somebody else. I get the same Holy Spirit as everybody else, but I think I personally recognize the Holy Spirit in degrees in my life, in areas, in sections. I get a little bit, and I'm like, well, he's got more than me. That's not true. He recognizes more than I recognize We get the same Holy Spirit. We're all filled with the same Spirit. But it's like this story. Y'all may have heard this before, this anecdote about what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. There's this man, and Jesus comes and knocks on his door, and the man invites him in and says, Yeah, I want you to stay here. Please come and stay. You can have the master bedroom. Just stay in the master bedroom. It's all yours. It's all clean. It's nice. It's the best room in the house. You have that room. A little later, Satan knocks on the door and comes in the house and beats the man up. Jesus he goes up to Jesus' room and knocks on the door and says, Lord, where were you? He's like, well, you told me to stay in the room. And so he goes, well, you can have the whole upstairs. It's, it's nice and neat. It's put together. All the good things are up here. It's perfectly organized. So you can have the upstairs. And the man goes back downstairs, the door, knocking the door again. It's Satan again. He comes in the house, and he beats the man up again. Just pummels him. And the guy goes to Jesus. He says, Lord, you're here in the house. Why didn't you save me? He said. Well, you told me to. You told me to stay upstairs. And he goes, Lord, I don't know what to do. What do you want from me? He said. Just everything. Just give me the whole house. A few minutes later, Satan knocks on the door, and Jesus answers, and he just runs away. See, that's what we look like a lot of times. When we're in this place where we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we give Jesus only the good spots. Lord, I'm really good at church on Sunday. You can have that compartment. Don't see me at work or school. Don't check, Don't. I'm out with my buddies. Don't, that, that's kind of off limits to you. You're not going to see me at my best in that place. And we compartmentalize our life, and we let the Holy Spirit have certain areas of access, even though he says, I want the whole thing. Paul uses this word when he talks about being indwelt. What he talks about, it's called katoikeo. It's this word that the emphasis is like a Lord coming home to his own house. There's two words they use. One meaning temporary. This one's a permanent word. It's like this master coming to his home and taking possession of something that's already his. When he talks about being dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so giving God this access and recognizing the strength. That is necessary to follow him The second thing that Paul prays for is a foundation based in love And there's two types of love, two ways of loving Our love for others and Jesus' love for us I believe that The quality of a Christian Depends on the unseen quality of their love That's why he uses those two analogies of a building and a tree You don't see the foundation of a building, but it's what holds everything up. And we don't see the roots of the tree, but that's why it doesn't fall over. And for us, that's love. This unseen quality of our love is what connects us to to our neighbors, the people around us, that we can walk around in a place being unoffendable. Confession. I got offended this week in the worst way possible. I'm a, I'm a baseball dad. Like I said, I have four sons. And um, my youngest son, he's eight. This is going to sound kind of weird. He's he's eight years old. He's a good baseball player, but he got cut from his baseball team this week. He's he's good. But there needed to be a change, probably. And I was furious. I looked at my wife. I said, sometimes I wish I wasn't a Christian so I could just grab somebody and just ah. And she said, Well, maybe you don't respond that way. And then I went and had to pray. And it didn't, it wasn't like I went and prayed and God said, Yeah, and I woke up and I was like, I called the guy, I said, Hey man, I love you. I you. didn't do any of that stuff. I struggled and I wrestled with loving this man because I felt like he wronged somebody I love. And this morning I have this little room that I go to in my house to pray, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, I can't preach. On this, this morning, if I'm bringing a heart of unforgiveness into this place, and I really felt like he said pretty clearly how much of a right he had to be offended by me. And he still stayed, he still died on the cross. I was like, okay, I can let that go. So I'll make a phone call my way home, and y'all can ask me about it sometimes. I'll, I'll call and, uh, and ask for his forgiveness. But the point being here, how we connect and love, with, love others is the quality of ourselves. It's not, it's not a salvation issue by any means, so don't mishear that. It is a sign of who we belong to and whose we are by how we love. And for a lot of us, that love is way harder than receiving God's love. But I think most of the time, at least for me, again, I don't want to speak for you, most of the time... I understand Jesus' love for me in my head, and it never gets to my heart. Because if it did, I'd love this guy way better than I have so far this week. I would love others way better if my, if my knowledge of Jesus' love wasn't just head knowledge, but it became heart knowledge. And I can't do that unless he strengthens me. I can't do that unless I'm in intimate relationship with him. Not just checking in and giving him a list of petitions, but be in constant conversation. Not in a way I'm just stopping where I'm at and praying, but it's just this awareness, this constant awareness of Jesus. I had one of my students a couple years ago, I was talking something similar. She said, what am I supposed to do then? Just walk around and go, Jesus, 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 everybody I see. I was like, well, you wouldn't forget. Probably be a little weird, but... But in my head, I started thinking maybe that's what it should be in my head. Jesus. Jesus. Maybe that's what it means to be in constant contact, in constant relationship. And then we can get to that place where we understand the fullness of who God is. I don't, I I confess, I don't get what that means. It's just ambiguous word, what does it mean to be filled to the measure, be filled with fullness of God? I don't know what that is or what he's saying there other than loving people the way Jesus loved people. Connecting with him. Intimate relationship. Staying in this place. And so Paul sees intimacy for us as this call higher. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. And so as we look at that, then what does it actually look like to be in an intimate relationship? Flip over to Matthew 25 for me. This is a, here's one of the differences in being at Stonebridge and being at Vintage. If I were to speak on this passage at Stonebridge, David Elder would make me say the parable of the ten bridesmaids. But being at a church where Steve Hambrick is the pastor, I can say virgins. So, <laughs> just being honest. <laughs> We're in full confession today, right? <laughs> David Elders would walk out of the back of the room if I said that word at church. And intimacy for that matter. Uh, <laughs> So I do want to look at this parable, though, this parable of the, ten, of the ten virgins. And if it's, I think it's a picture of intimacy. And if you know anything about Jewish weddings, there's three stages to Jewish weddings. There's a betrothal and engagement and then the marriage ceremony. And the context or the setting for this particular uh, parable is We've made it through the first two stages. We're getting ready for the wedding feast. The bride is at her house. The bridegroom is at his house. And he's going to come and get her and take her to the wedding banquet at his own home. That's the, that's the, that's the setting, okay? It so says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who, looked, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to, the, to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were, ready, who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. That's not the most encouraging of passages, right? It's like a wedding feast, and you're like, ah, I know some of you, I don't know some of you. And it has, like all parables, parables have multiple meetings, uh, and this one you know, could have been one for the Pharisees who weren't prepared for the coming of Jesus, and so he's saying to them, you've missed me. But I also believe it's a message for us on Jesus' return. This is one of the only passages that I know of in Scripture. Some of you you may be better Bible scholars than I am. But this is one of the few passages in Scripture where I see Jesus encouraging excess and, and not sharing. Right? He's saying, get as much oil as you can get and don't share it with anybody. What I think that oil is, is this intimate relationship. I think what Jesus is saying here, collect as much of this as you can, prepare, not in a sense of I don't want to miss him when he comes back, but I don't want to miss him right now. We have hope in his return, that's for sure, but he gave us his Holy Spirit now to know him and know the fullness of God that Paul's talking about. We want to hear his voice. We want to know his voice. We want to listen. We want to be able to discern the clear voice of God. The only way to do that is to prepare. Cultivate intimate relationship. I'm going to beat this metaphor of oil into the ground. But we have to be oily people. Yeah, that's not an excuse not to bathe. We have to be oily people. We have to store, store up this oil like these five wise virgins. They're prepared. They don't miss him. And I think the source of my spiritual frustration, one, is I haven't been preparing well. But secondly, we've missed the radical, supernatural nature of relationship with an all-powerful God. We check in and we check out. He says check in and stay here. It doesn't mean you can't do all the things that you were doing before. What it means is there's purpose behind it, and it's to cultivate this relationship. It's to hear words. It's to speak to other people. It's to encourage. It's to step into the prophetic. It's to step into all these places that God shows us in Scripture. The supernatural stuff, my friend said, doesn't exist. That's what he wants us to step into, and the only way... To hear God's voice and speak his truth is to be directly connected to him. I have a friend of mine, she prays, she fervently prays for revival. She says, I want to see revival in the church. I want to see revival in the world. I want to see, she keeps going on and on. She says, I just want God to send this spark to light this flame. And the truth of the matter is God did send the spark. That's the Holy Spirit. The problem is we aren't flammable. When you're oily, you're flammable. And just a little spark spreads like wildfire. The problem is we, a lot of us, me, I run out of oil. I live on old decisions to keep me going, and I can't stay on that path. I was 25 when I became a Christian. I grew up in church, but I was 25 when I became a Christian. When I left home at 18 years old, I decided to run after everything other than God for seven years. And I remember on November 20th, 2004, I was sitting in my apartment, and I don't know how any other way to describe it other than Jesus walked in the room and said, this is where your ways led you. Why don't you try my way? And I hopped up and said, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus. But the truth is, if I live on that moment for the rest of my Christian walk, I'm going to miss him. And it's the same thing for our kids. When we go to camp, I love one camp. I have my next one camp planning meeting next week. I love it. It's transformational. It's awesome. But the truth is, if our children live on that one moment every year, they're going to run dry. It's a lifestyle of pursuit. If we want to see revival, if we want to see flames, then we have to be flammable. and We have to start cultivating relationship. It can't be a decision I made 20 years ago or a decision I made last week. It's got to be a decision that I make moment by moment. And I'm not up here telling you, like, that's why I started with confession, because I'm not doing it. But I want to. As I was preparing... This morning, I just went into my closet and I was like, man, it's been a little bit since I've been in here. We have to start spending an uncomfortable amount of time in the presence of God. And the reason I say uncomfortable is because that varies for every person. It's hard for me to sit still for five minutes. Y'all can see I've worn a path already. Five minutes is hard for me to sit still. So i got to do 10. You may be someone who says, I can stay in here all day long. Do it longer. Make yourself feel uncomfortable. And what I think happens when you do that is you actually get to the depths of what your heart is. You get through your prayer list that we pre-constructed in our mind to pray for our, our spouse or our family, and our kids, and our school. And you, you get through the checklist of all the things you're supposed to pray for. And you start getting into that grimy place that you don't let the Lord into. And you start to see, get, really pour out what God wants you to pray about. But we've got to sit there. And it's got to be every day. Some of you are saying, like, that's, that's a little much. That's pretty intimidating to say I'm going to spend every day in prayer for a certain amount of time. If you're not doing it at all, start with one day. You, won't, you don't start out running a marathon when you start running a marathon. You've got to run that first mile. And some of us need to step into that place and run the first mile, maybe one day a week. Some of you are a mile 26 already. Encourage others. But the truth of it is, if we don't cultivate relationship, we'll miss intimacy and we'll miss what God has for us and for our community. I pray, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I pray specifically often for the youth everywhere. Vintage included, going into camp, y'all's youth group, my youth group, the youth group at all the network churches. Teenagers are my people. I taught high school for fourteen years before I went into ministry. Teenagers are my people because I think, I'm sorry, I think they are the people who get it. Some of us, me, I grew up in church, like you want to do Bible drills? Well they have to call them sword drills. Like, I'll stand up here and we'll race all day long. It wasn't my heart. I was indoctrinated to win. And we have, some of us who grew up in church, we have so much baggage that we're carrying along with us because we have hurt and offense in our hearts. And what the Lord says this morning, I think, what he wants us to hear this morning is he's breaking that off of us through intimate relationship and this acknowledgement of the supernatural nature of our faith. The good news is not old news. The good news is transformational news. It is changing. If we have an encounter with Jesus and then we go back to what we were before, I I may get in trouble for this. I don't think it's an encounter. Because when we meet Jesus... Face to face, we can't help but be changed and desire more and more of who he is and what he has for all of us. We live a life that's unoffendable. We're quick to forgive. We're quick to acknowledge our faults and confess our issues to other people. We bring things that are in darkness into light, and he gets full access to our entire heart. And this morning, I think what the Lord wants us to hear, at least he wants me to hear, is that all he wants is all of me. That's it. We make this thing way too complicated sometimes. Intimacy means trust. We trust that he has what's good for us. And when we trust him, we hear him. We discern his voice. We discern the calling on our lives. I was having this conversation with one of my students, and we were walking through this passage, and he was like, I don't get this part here where the demon says, I know who you are. Right? I can't remember the exact passage, but Jesus is talking to this man who's possessed, and the demon says, I know who you are. You're the son of the most high and jesus quite makes him be quiet and cast him out and he's like explain to me how the demon can believe and not be changed it's a great question from a teenager i said time out let me go do some study and we'll get back next week <laughs> wasn't prepared but like the most significant question he's ever usually it's like why is the bible why is your bible brown um <laughs> But he came to me with this question: like, why is the de- why does this demon know who Jesus is, and why doesn't he believe? And so I, I, I said, I don't, I've don't, I gotta do some work on that one, and looked it up and read, and and one of the, the things that I realized is, is a lot of times modern believers, I just just with our language, right? We've belief. Has become faith in our language. But it's not true in action. The the demons do believe Jesus is the son of God. But they don't trust him. They don't have faith in his saving power. And for us. As followers. Of Jesus. I started changing my terminology. I'm a follower of Jesus. I trust that he's going to lead me. Where he needs me to go. And I want to encourage you this morning. That the first thing before you can follow him and trust him. You have to know him. Yes, the Bible is a great source of knowing him. But it's not the only source. This teaches us about him. Prayer teaches us to know him. We know his heart. We know who he is. This helps us discern what he's saying to us. This is our plumb line. If we're listening to the Lord and we hear anything that contradicts this, that's not the Lord. But as we're listening to the Lord and he affirms and confirms what is in Scripture in our lives, then we can know that it's him and we know that his voice is speaking to us and we respond accordingly. Does that make sense? So I want you to do something for me. If you all would stand up. I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. And we're going to head to this time of ministry. Go ahead and close your eyes for a minute. Since we're in this spirit of confession this morning, what's the thing that keeps you from trusting him? Where is it in your life where you're like, I know him, but I'm not trusting him here. For me, it's my pride. I know that for sure. Sometimes I think I know better than him. It's subconscious. It's not like I'm making that statement out loud, but it is a, my actions point to that a lot of times. I just want to encourage you to ask God right now, what's the thing that's keeping me from trusting you completely and fully? And then just confess it to him. There's going to be ministry teams up here at the front. And if you feel comfortable, I would encourage you to confess that to them this morning. And pray for them to break that off of you. Whatever it is, whatever that distraction is, just ask them. Say, this is my thing. Can you pray that it's no longer my thing? There's communion here as well, and it's available every week. But I would encourage you, if you come to the communion table this morning, this is a sign of the good news. Lay down whatever it is that prevents you from trusting Him at that table and pick up this body and this blood this morning. We all have things. Open your entire heart to him this morning. Let him have all of it. And come together as a community of of followers and pray for one another this morning. There's nothing more powerful than interceding on the behalf of somebody else who feels like they're not worthy and deserving of what God has for them. And I just want to break off that lie this morning. You're worthy because he says so. So, Jesus, we do come this morning asking for revelation first. Reveal in us, Lord, what's causing us to not come to that higher place. Reveal to us what's blocking that intimate relationship with you, Lord. Help us confess it and break that off of us. Lord, we ask that we would leave that here today, that you would take that from us one more time many times as it takes actually and lord i pray that you would captivate our hearts that you would create in us a desire for intimate relationship that you'd speak and we'd hear that you'd lead and we would follow that you would call and we would respond this morning lord I just want to know in my heart how much you love me. And I just want to be able to respond to that love. I want the fullness of following you. Holy Spirit, come and fill us up again that we be filled to the measure. love you. Amen. Now respond as the Lord leads you.